happen and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth cracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A vast against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking the ones who keep on grappling The listeners some followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend President to see where haters with the men there's no pretend 17 years, see along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Cali back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Great friends Again, just gotta tell you, thank you so much For, for listening to these podcasts And by the way just the, the communication and the feedback on Twitter and what you guys are coming back to me with, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you for being here. I always like to start with that because I, I guess for me, a lot of my friends, contemporaries, or even people that are older are like, podcasts, what in the hell are you talking about? I don't have time for podcasts. And people do have time for podcasts. You just got to use your time differently. And um, and so I just I, I find that, that just... I want to tell you that I'm, I'm expressing some gratitude here, and I'm being sincere. Thank you for listening to this. Okay, so here it goes. Let me let me get into this week's this week's edition of the podcast because the interview this week is absolutely unbelievably fascinating. It's going to blow your mind. But I want to start with this. So when we began the podcast at the beginning of 2018, I really suspected that my first interview was going to be Dick Emberg. But as you know, Dick died in, in late 2017. And I, again, as I was preparing for 18, I was thinking Dick would be my first interview. And I regret that it never happened. And since Dick's memorial service at Petco Park, okay, so he died in December and the memorial service was a couple months ago. Since that service, one speaker really resonated with me. And um, it wasn't somebody famous. It wasn't a broadcaster. It wasn't somebody he did Wimbledon with. It wasn't somebody who he'd broadcast the Olympics with or the NFL. It was was his best friend from his childhood. And I would have to really go back and look up the gentleman's name. And and I'd have to go back and probably rewatch his speech to, um, to know every last detail. So don't quote me on all of it. But here's the story that he told. And it, it, it just hasn't left me. The gentleman said that when he and Dick Emberg, were, they were best friends growing up. And Dick had gotten a job. And as I recall, it was maybe baseball coach or maybe even athletic director at Cal State Northridge. Well... He tells his buddy here, come from Michigan, and I'm going to get you an assistant coaching job here at Cal State Northridge. So the day this gentleman shows up, Dick Emberg, and here's his best pal, who's now going to join the coaching staff, sits around a conference table with all the other coaches within the athletic department, and Dick is introducing this new assistant coach who's his best pal. And Dick writes down something on a legal pad and then passes it to the next person over to him and then that person writes something down and he or she passes it over to the next person and it goes around the room with all these coaches and it finally gets to Dick's best pal the whole time he's thinking what are they doing here they're all I'm new I'm the new what are they all writing about me or what's going on by the time the legal pad had gotten all the way around to all the assistant coaches to Dick's new 
assistant and his his best pal. By the time it had gotten to him, Dick had written at the top of the page, this is my friend, he just moved here from Michigan. If you have any extra furniture or anything like that that you could help him, um, please you know, let me know. I'm going to give him a refrigerator that we have. And so each coach wrote something down. I'm going to give him a couch. Um, I have a nightstand that I don't need. Um, I have a bicycle in my garage that the tires need to be pumped. He can have it. The point is, Dick Emberg orchestrated this community to help his pal who had just moved into town. And that story meant so much more to me than just just all, all the famous people that came into town to speak about their relationship with Dick. So that one stuck with me. And, and the reason it has, if you've been listening to the last couple of podcasts, you know that I, I've been moving. And moving is tough, man. Moving is a hard thing to do because moving is not just the physical act and the tough part of moving. We all know moving is terrible. It's the emotional part, especially when you're in the situation that I find myself in, which is in the middle of a divorce. And that also is just a horrible thing. And when you see pictures of your life, what it was when you were not divorced, when you were happy or you thought you were happy or... You know, you see pictures of your kids and, and you, you see pictures of 10 years ago and how different people look. And I'm just here to tell you, if you haven't moved in a long time, I'm just telling you it's cleansing and, it, and it, it's emotional. And so back to Dick's story, what, what does this mean? You know what it means? It's, it's the way people help you, you know, when you need their help. I got a buddy of mine. He's a freaking anesthesiologist, this guy. I swear to you, he brought his pickup truck, his tools, and the dude came and worked at my house to help me move. You know, you don't, that's, that is out of the scope of most relationships. Guy's a doctor. He doesn't need to be spending his time on Saturday afternoon, transporting my crap all over the place and helping me. I had other friends too. I got a buddy of mine, this friend of mine named Steve Blumpkin. This guy has been a long time radio listener. Every time I see him, man, this guy makes me feel like a million bucks. Tells me how great the show is and how much he loves it and how much he listens. And I've gotten to be Good buddies with this guy. And he's one of the most interesting freaking people because his grandmother was in business with Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett to this day still preaches about how much he loves and respects my friend Steve's grandmother. And, you know, when you need friends to come to your rescue to help, my doctor buddy who's moving stuff in his pickup truck, my buddy Steve Blumpkin who owns a, 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 a rug store called Outrageous Rugs on Miramar Road. And, yeah, I'm plugging him. Um, this guy came to my house, spent his time. I said, dude, I'm moving into this house. It's a beautiful home. There's these great hardwood floors. I don't want to wreck these floors. I don't want to be responsible for these floors. I love rugs. I mean, he came, he spent time. He looked in the house, looked in the rooms, tried to help me figure out what I was going to do, how I could protect the floors, but how I could have stylish shit. And my boy Blumpkin comes to my rescue, you know, just like so many other friends when you need them, when they're all sitting around that conference room table and they're all writing a note saying, I can help you by doing this when a friend needs a hand. And it's just been an awesome thing. And so I'm giving out a lot of love to my boy Steve Blumpkin and his store Outrageous Rugs on Miramar Road in San Diego. So if anybody's in town and you're looking for great rugs, traditional, contemporary, highest of high end and really affordable stuff at the other end, handmade plus machine stuff, whatever it is you're looking for, yes, I'm giving a plug to one of my friends because when your friends come in and help, man, it's it's a it's an amazing thing. I'll tell you right now, moving the last 2 weeks 
and being involved in this fog of move and divorce and emotion and financial and and physical move and children and all kinds of shit, man, that's going on. And by the way, radio show, and I've talked a lot about startup business. You'll hear more about that coming up in this podcast. When there's all kinds of shit, man, it's your friends. It's your friends. A guy like Steve Blumpkin, yeah, helps me with rugs. Amazing. You know, another guy, my friend Dr. Zimmer, helps me with, by moving my shit. Nobody could have helped me more than my friend Allison Ratzlaff, who, by the way, you know, she's my assistant. People hear about her on the radio. But on a Saturday afternoon, when she's not getting paid, she's there to be a friend. <sighs> and I appreciate her so much. So, look, here's this week's podcast. This is an amazing guy, Mark Bowles. I met Mark Bowles years ago when I read about him in the Union Tribune because he was the CEO of a company called Echo ATM. You literally take your old cell phones, put them into a machine, the machine scans the phone, and then offers to give you money right there on the spot. Me and my daughters have done it. We love it. It's so much fun to take these old cell phones that are sitting in junk drawers and do something good for the environment and also get some money for them. So this is the guy that came up with the concept, but here's the amazing thing, and you're going to hear this story. This guy was a great entrepreneur who could raise a ton of money but was not hitting home runs, was not having success by his own admission, and was on the verge of complete disaster. And from the day he was sitting in his car crying his eyes out because he had to sell his house and pull his kids from private school, five years later, sold the company for $350 million. I'll leave it at that. Here's this week's podcast interview with Mark Bowles. So you just came storming in here. Yeah. First time I'm ever doing a podcast in my radio office. Oh, all right. I'm honored. Yeah. Well, this is cool. <laughs> it's cool. Talk right into the mic, dude. It's uh, You can grab it. You can take it off. You can okay. hold on to it, whatever you want to do. I don't edit, I don't edit anything, so okay. people can just hear exactly <laughs> raw what happens. So, dude, I, you and I, I that we met that night... Um, of the Red Hot Chili Peppers up at the Belly Up in Solana Beach, yeah. which to me spoiled me, ruined me, because now I don't like big venue concerts anymore. Yeah, no, it's very intimate there. That was awesome. Like, how many people get to see the Chili Peppers from 10 feet away? You know? It was amazing. I, I I don't know if you like still remember or like took anything away from it, but for me, I didn't realize their drummer, Chad Smith, was so amazing. Yeah, uh, and he looks like... Uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, exactly. <laughs> they had that drum off on uh, on Saturday Night Live, whatever. Yeah. It looks exactly like him, amazing. Yeah. I just stared at the guy the whole time, and I'm like, now that's Will Ferrell, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, um, just I love to see now big, you know, arena or stadium bands in tiny venues. Yeah. By the way, not always easy to find. Yeah. I saw I saw them once, like, early 90s. And Flea had nothing on but a sock, um, <laughs> so they've they've uh, they've chilled down a little bit, but they're still pretty good. Yeah, but I I would have been like that stupid guy backstage. We missed all that for some reason. We got there late. We you know it was a small little private charity event, yeah. and if um, and people were taking pictures with those guys beforehand, I would have been like the one guy who would have taken his shirt off. You know, like right. with Flea or with Anthony, like just no reason. Right. Just jerk. Well, we did sneak into the Qualcomm place where we weren't supposed to be. <laughs> right. So, uh, well, our, fr our common friend who put us together, I don't mind mentioning names, Blair Cannon. Yeah. Um, awesome guy. Great guy. One of my favorite people on the planet. Blair said, look, I got tickets to this event, but your job is to get us to the VIP backstage. And I said, I I'll, I'll do what I, what I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that was a great night. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw Blair yesterday working on. He he has this amazing uh, 
it's a charity mix and philanthropy and and foundation and real investing stuff it's going to be pretty exciting for san diego can't talk about it now but i'll come back that's a amazing story let him tell you the story i know all about it yeah. i'm involved in it oh good and i can't wait to participate yeah. um so and and like i said blair is one of my favorite people so he put us together and and he actually said something to me. You know, I, I do a whole bunch of research and stuff beforehand. Look at all this stuff I print out about you. But but really, when you have somebody who's friends, and, and he said, "Man, Mark is so interesting." He goes, "You got to make sure you ask him about a few of these things." So I want to jump right into it. Forget about the research I did. Yeah. Uh, Blair was telling me that you are from very humble background, and he yeah. he mentioned Texas or Louisiana. Where are you from? Yeah, the border of Texas, Louisiana, the the Texas Gulf Coast has a whole string of barrier islands that go all the way down to Padre Island, and but they start all the way up, you know, by the Louisiana border, and um, the last one there is called the Bolivar Peninsula. It's kind of an island, kind of a peninsula, and um, population six hundred, and uh, we had a two bedroom house on stilts, and we a restaurant in front. Uh, started with six bar stools and two booths and five kids in one bedroom and the parents in the other and uh we were the staff and i i started working in that restaurant at six years old and worked full-time literally since uh since i was six i mean I, I got off the bus at three and i started washing dishes and peeling shrimp and uh cleaning tables and did that till 10 o'clock at night and did that pretty much year round for you know till i uh, paid my way through college and then you know beyond so uh yeah i've been working a long time wow wow so where do you fall in the list of child kids abuse today <laughs> right <laughs> of course yeah. right i've asked my son like can't you just do something to generate rather than just suck money you know no uh, but it's actually a great place to, to you know i can tell it in a way that sounds bad but it's actually a great place to grow up because you know went to a little school you got to do everything you had really good intimate friends we didn't have any of that big school big city stuff that that sort of can can corrupt a, a kid we just played outside and rode bikes and worked and uh did good things so i think it was really a blessing to grow up in that environment and what year uh, was that uh i was born in 63 okay. and so i moved to that situation in late 69 and then stayed there about nine ten years and yeah wow um, and, and so was the restaurant filled with people it doesn't sound like a bustling metropolis no it was population six it was a weird town it was one of those resort towns so it was 600 people uh in the winter but in the summer you could it could be eighty thousand people at the beach there was lots of vacation homes so and a lot of drinking and a lot of partying and so they you know they sort of took over so it was an interesting small town that became a giant you know resort party place uh uh, so it was a small restaurant, it was, you know, it's not much more than a greasy spoon, but it was, you know, we made, you know, fried seafood and hamburgers. It was good food, but it was, um, it's not what we would call good food these days. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, it, it was, uh, a greasy spoon. We ran it and, uh, it was a good experience running a business, seeing it from that age, from a dollar into a dollar out, uh, that sort of got me you know, on the entrepreneurial path later, like I couldn't be a cog in the wheel. I, I you know, I see that I go buy the groceries, bringing them in, cook them and then cash out, you know, so I see in that whole system, I could, couldn't be just a component as I got older. Right. So. Wow. Did everybody else in the family see it like that? I think everybody learned amazing lessons. I'm the, um, others have, have 
have went and started their own business, not at the scale that I've done, but they're all pretty entrepreneurial in their own way, in different ways. Uh, in fact, all of them run their own businesses now that I think about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. You know, it's amazing. I, I um, listening to you talk about that small town that you grew up in and how it was so seasonal. I grew up in a tiny, tiny, tiny little town in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible how there are little towns yeah. and little mom and shop pop businesses. I, I'd be curious to ask you this. I, I still have a little bit of a, well, no, very much so. My mind in business is still very mom and pop. My, mm-hmm. my dad, uh, by the you know, as he, when I was really a kid, was an electrician with his father. They had a family business. Mm-hmm. Then he had a gas station. Then he had a tool business. I mean, he had always mom and pop type businesses. And I kind of never really learned to think real huge. How did you go from little town and little family business to thinking the way you ultimately did in in sciences and in tech? You know, it's a good question. Um I think uh, one of the primary motivators, if I'm honest, is I, I didn't want to be poor. I, I, I felt poor growing up, and I didn't want to be poor. Um, and I also like to challenge myself, right? So uh, the bigger the challenge, the more attractive it was for me in some ways. And I left. I uh, got my undergraduate. I, I squeezed a four-year degree in uh, six years. And um <laughs> And uh, sort of a semi-engineering, it was from the engineering uh, department. And I got on an airplane two days after I graduated from Texas A&M, and I uh, was in California working the next day in Silicon Valley. I got I got offered several jobs uh, around the world. It was a uh, 87. It was a terrible job environment. Um, uh, there was kind of a meltdown that year, if everybody recalls. And, and so nobody could get jobs. But I got offered, I had terrible grades, but I got offered... Um, uh, a lot of jobs. I think I interviewed well at that point. I couldn't interview now to get a job anywhere. Nobody <laughs> would hire so? me. No, that's think? why I got to go start companies. Like, nobody <laughs> would hire me. Um, so, uh, but I did, I guess I, I impressed some people then and I got a lot of opportunities and I took the one in Silicon Valley. I didn't know the first thing about Silicon chips, anything, but I knew that it was a growing market and I knew that I wanted to learn, you know, technical things and be involved in that. Look, if you want to fish, go where the fish are Fighting, right and Silicon Valley was about to but was booming and was about to boom as we know more so I got there in 87 and, wow and uh, so worked for big companies and then then got on the startup side about yeah six and, or and, seven years in. and you've had you've had a bunch of startups right? I mean you, you've really yeah. I think I've read seven is that right or yeah so um, some of those I've started more than that I didn't get some of those funded so we don't talk about those but um, <laughs> but I I've been involved in seven uh, that were venture funded or one of them, we didn't actually get any fun. We didn't need it. We got bought before we, uh, but yeah, seven that got, you know, backed and were, or were acquired uh, or, um, you know, but I, a lot of those, half of those were, were giant smoking holes in the ground. You know, there were six year, $80 million smoking holes in the ground, hundred engineers and burned through 80 million bucks. And you build something that, that works, uh, but, but the market blows up and, or doesn't need it or, it doesn't get uh, picked up, so yeah, you make some 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 smoking holes and throw ground on the way. If you're, oh my god, you're killing me right now. You have no <laughs> idea what you just did to me. You do not even understand. I mean, seriously, you're going to turn this into a therapy session. I'm supposed to be interviewing you, but I'm just you don't know what you just did to me because I'm seriously in a similar spot right now with a much smaller amount of money. Yeah. But I built something that is a prototype 
that I really didn't think was going to be a prototype. I really expected it to be an MVP mm-hmm. and it's not really there yet. And so I've learned a whole ton and now I'm, I'm going to actually be calling it version 1.0 or, or this is a mm-hmm. functional prototype. I mean, I've got to somehow make a positive out of a negative, which is this is not what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I've learned thanks to this, that it's not what I wanted. So now I'm ready to yeah. find new people that can help me build what I'm trying to build. I've been using Indian developers and mm-hmm. I and the communication has hardware. Gone, yeah. Well, no, um, no, this is, this is software that I'm building. Oh, I see. Um, but I'm saying that it's, it's, um, it, it's just the communication has been hard. It's yeah. so I'm trying to domesticate things. It's just been, it's been a very, what you just described about $80 million and spending all that money and not getting to where you expected to be. I'm talking about it on a much smaller scale and it's killing me right now. No, it's a heartbreak and it's, it's very, very common. I mean, this, if you were successful your first time trying that, you'd be, you know, a a pretty rare bird, right? So, um, I'm, I'm working on half a dozen projects right now that are probably going to have version threes, fours, and fives that are, uh, and, and this is with teams of people that know what they're doing. Right. So it's right. Cause I have a team of people that frankly, we have no fucking clue what we're doing. Yeah. So if you even got (laughs) close, you did pretty well. So, um, yeah, you just got to keep polishing it. And if you, you know, don't run out of capital and, um, yeah, not only, not only am I going to run out of capital, but I, I, thankfully we burned slow. Truthfully. I mean, we, the, using the Indian development team helped us and it helped us get to where we are. I still think we spent too much and it took too long, Mm -hmm. but um, I think that it, it, it helped us understand what we didn't have and what we wanted to have. And now it'll help us get to where we want to go. And we'll have to go out and re- we'll have to raise some more money as we're, like I said, we're getting to that, that next you know thing, whatever it's going to yeah. be. I can see the emotional scars developing, right? But <laughs> you, 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 uh, the, yeah, I've been doing this a long time and, and, uh, you know, more of them fail than, than are successful. And it's a, it's a really hard, you know, it's been glamorized, the entrepreneur thing. And it's, you know, like a rock star and it's become a real pop culture thing, but it really is a harsh, harsh environment, a harsh life for most people that do it. It's not, you hear about the success stories and we're talking here today because I had a recent one, but there's a lot of years of just hard, you know, and, and sometimes you never have a success. You drill, you know, drill dry holes every time. I would say my, my, one of my fears is, is that if you don't succeed, then the next time you try, the community that supported you will not even look at you. There, there's some truth to that, but I, uh, I think the other side of it is, is true because, you know, venture capitals, it's pretty sophisticated. They lose more than they win too. And so if you're honest, you don't go into the venture yourself just like, hey, trust me, give me some money and I'm going to go make it work. You expose everything and they see everything and they're they're smarter than you in some ways and you all go into it wide eyes wide open and sometimes you fail, but if you're honest in that relationship as you go through and you didn't deceive anybody and they didn't deceive anybody, look, we took a chance together and it failed. I've had people back me that that back me after I lost them money twice right and they, but they i was honest we took the risk together it's not me versus them it's us together right so yeah yeah so i um i think it's really interesting because you were saying just you kind of interjected that you know you had a big success and um i had met you several years ago back when i was working at the union tribune mm-hmm. and we were interviewing you i think that there was a feature that may have been done in the newspaper at the time mm-hmm. about this company echo ATM. Right. And I remember reading about this in the paper. I would always, you know, as, as trying to compliment 
the newspaper side with television, I would really, really read through the newspaper to try and find the best stories. And sometimes they were bizarre, but sometimes they were super interesting. Mm -hmm. And I remember you coming in for an interview to explain what Echo ATM was at the time. And once you did, I took my daughter to the mall Mm -hmm. and we actually used it. I had to see it in action. It was the most incredible thing. How did that company, and I know that you're out of it now and there was a big exit, but how did you get started in that? So I was, I'd been doing semiconductors, uh, microprocessor system on a chip stuff uh, for a long time, my first several startups. And, um, and I got wise enough, I'm, I'm not that smart, but I'm smart enough to know that uh, the economics didn't work there anymore for a startup. They, um, it, it's, semiconductors have gotten so expensive to field a chip. It, it's 100 million bucks, 150 million bucks to build a, a system on a chip. And it takes five years, and you got to lead the goose in the market, build the right thing because you define it, and then you got to build it, and and your odds of success are so low. Um, and uh, so you know, it's like a pharmaceutical moonshot. It's just so much money, and you get one shot, and it's you know. So I, I decided I wasn't going to do that anymore. And I, so what am I going to do? I've been doing semiconductors my whole life, hardware. And so I decided to shift gears. Like, look, after fifteen years of being an entrepreneur, I'm like, wait a second. It's not semiconductors that I'm good at. It's starting companies, building teams, and being an entrepreneur and raising money and and you know uh, all of that. So um, I can apply that to any technology. You can go learn that. So what do I want to do? You know, uh, myself, not find something in the lab or somebody, you know, um, and try to bring it to market. But what's a problem I want to solve? So it's the first time I ever started as an entrepreneur to go look. What's the um, What's a problem that needs solving and work backwards from that? So I was reading this, uh, a friend of mine had a, uh, saw this article, Nokia did the first study worldwide, this was 2008, uh, on recycling of phones. There was about a billion phones shipped that year, and only 1% of people said they uh, had recycled phones. Like, what's happening with the other, you know, almost billion? Um, and these are amazing things that still have life, but people just put them in the drawer and... So how do we solve that, right? And we came up with a bunch of bad ideas, like sending the Boy Scouts door to door. You know, Girl Scouts have cookie. What if we send the? There's a lot of reasons not to send little boys to strangers' houses. But uh, so we went through some bad ideas. There's some others, and then uh, struck on this idea of uh, a uh, automated take the labor out of it, take the discomfort of trying to, you know, uh, negotiate the value of this used thing. Nobody likes that, right? just automate it and we can get rid of the labor and boy can we make that work and i had worked on a uh, uh, facial recognition thing and i had some idea of, of you know what that software is capable of that what what if we applied that to this and so anyway it came together as um doing something for the environment doing you know um good while doing well and um this was a big problem and it had enough tech stuff in it and so Came up with the idea, started filing some patents, started hiring people to look at the technology, and um, and then built a prototype, and I got it worked right. It was it was part of it was my my insight was um, what would get me off my couch <laughs> with my drawer full of phones because um, I'm an expert at being lazy too, despite my resume. <laughs> so it, you know, what's the threshold where I would get excited about going and turning my stuff right? Yeah. Well, it has to be in my normal path. I'm not making a trip. There was a box at the zoo and at the Verizon store, but it was all charity. And, you know, I want to get paid. This is this thing is expensive. Um, and I want to get paid for it. 
uh, or have an option for charity, but I don't want to just be charity if, if I don't want. And then I want an immediate. I don't want uh, to have to wait for a check in the mail or wait a month or you know, write it off of my taxes or whatever. I want to, I want money now. And uh, so normal path, uh, it's got to be quick and it's got to be convenient. It's got to be cash now. So how do you do that? Automate it. And can we make the technology work? And it took us three years and 13 million bucks to make the first automated one work. But we, you know, we, along the way, we tested, you know, manual versions and so forth. And so the original insight was um, how late, we're all environmentalists, but we're all lazy too. So how do you make it just really convenient and really easy incentivized and made those assumptions and figured out a solution. And then we had to go see if those assumptions worked and if people would participate in mass. And, and of course they did and it, and it worked. Um, so it wasn't another smoking hole in the ground like the wow. previous two. So. Jeez, wow. So uh, when you start a company like that, do you it, is it just your money in first and that's the that's where you get started? Or do you just literally start hitting the streets looking for money? This one was uh, my money to start. I, um, Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. So so prior to Echo ATM, you mm-hmm. mentioned you, know, you're, you burned $80 million, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But along the way, if you're raising that kind of money, yeah. were you were – you, were you making a lot of money yourself? No, that's the thing. Startups, um, I think this has changed a little, particularly in Silicon Valley. Startup salaries, you can get paid a, a nice, big, proper salary, maybe bigger than you could get at a regular company. Back, I mean, my experience has not been that. Um, it was you worked, you know, sweat equity, right? You traded what I'm either right zero now. salary or a super low salary yeah. for, uh, and. You know, it wasn't somebody else's rules that were imposed. I was imposing them. Yeah. I was the founder. I was right. the CEO. I, yeah. It's my money. I, you know, you wanted the original team of five, six, seven, eight, ten guys uh, and gals. No, nobody get paid for a year and a half uh, before we. And then we start. These are people who had other jobs. Who were- uh, some of them did, and they worked on the side. But most, you know, uh, there were people like me that couldn't get a job because nobody would hire them. <laughs> um, they were startup people who were mm-hmm. in between startups. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, that sweat equity thing, uh, I had, you know, it was always reduced salaries. And so I wasn't piling up a lot of money. I did have an exit, uh, Blue Steel Networks in uh, 2000, I think it was, that was lucrative and, you know, recharged my battery and my bank account uh, to be able to go out and do this other stuff. So, um, but I, uh, Equal ATM was a special case. I could not raise, I'd raised... 150 million bucks through 12, 13 rounds for three or four companies before that. And I thought this would be a breeze because it was such a good idea. VCs hated this idea. It was key equity. They didn't, you know, it's CapEx, it's, you know, building the consumer, retail, all the, you know, X marks against you and just did not want to touch it. So despite my previous ability to raise capital, nobody wanted to fund this. So I had to fund it myself for a year and a half. And I ended up selling my house uh that was a fun conversation um with my wife i I went up to silicon valley i was pitching probably my 40th vc at that point i'm a year and a half into it and uh not only did they tell me no this guy's a friend of mine he he not only didn't say no he said um it's a stupid idea and the vcs will never fund this thing you ought to go do something else i'm your friend i'm telling you this is a friend and a vc don't do this um, so I went back and my wife, you know, said, how, how'd it go? And I said, well, he told me a stupid idea and, um, to abandon it and, um, don't do that. And by the way, we need to sell the house and pull the kids out of private school and sell their 409, you know, uh, which we did. We did all of that. Um, hold on, excuse me. 
because you're at, you're telling some really deep stuff here. Yeah. I'm going to ask you this. Tell me if you will, if you don't, you don't, yeah. but, but, um, how much cash were you able to generate with the sale of a home, the turning off the faucet of the kids' private school, cashing in their, it sounds like their college, some sort of college savings plan. Yeah. Um, I, what I kind didn't of cash? generate, uh, ca- I actually, uh, uh, I sold that house in 2009. And if you remember the real Not estate market, it was down. So we listed my house for a number that uh, we ended up getting uh, $800,000 less than that because the market just tanked mm-hmm. and we couldn't lower the price fast enough to stay in front of it. Mm-hmm. So all the equity I'd built up in real estate for 10 years, 15 years in California, I lost it all. I had to write a check to sell the house. Um, so I was really cutting expenses. I wasn't raising funds, right? And so... Um, and I was paying, uh, this is a true story, you can find, or you could then, a $30 a night hotel in Silicon Valley. So when I would go up to pitch, I'd take the team with me, two to a room, and this is a terrible hotel. The cop cars are parked after. They don't change the sheets, by the way. Um, <laughs> but when you're spending your own money, um, you spend it in a different way than you do other people's money. And that was actually a really good lesson for me. I was fairly disciplined before that. But when you're spending your own money, um, it, you, it's a different uh, thought process when it's your checkbook than when it is a company one, right? So, so, so what was that like, though? I'm just wondering, you, your wife, how many children do you have? I have three boys. Okay, so you, your wife, and your three boys are moving out of the house, yeah. n- changing schools. Yep. And is this all happening like the, at the end of a school year to start a new school year? Is this happening? Mm, no, it was right. It was actually uh, like September, October. So it was right at the beginning of the school year. What were you feeling like back then? Were you feeling you know, like I, scared? I, I, I've like- never told this story. Uh, in fact, I don't think my wife knows it. When I got the call that we actually had sold it, uh, I was sitting in the parking lot of this, of uh, La Jolla Shores looking at the wet, checking the waves and you know, They'll do it at this point, you know, and we can close at this. You got a text. And I got to write a check to do it. I was devastated because I just lost $800,000 in equity, seven or $800,000 in equity that I built up for 15 years and my house and all this other stuff to fund this idea that hadn't been proven yet. We hadn't even built a prototype yet. Um, so it was just based on, you know, and I'm usually wrong, right? Remember my smoking holes in the ground, right? So you, um, so it was a big risk and, you know, but winning in startups, it, it really is often a, uh, the f- a fine line between being a persevering entrepreneur that overcomes the hardest things and being a completely irresponsible jackass, right? Uh, it's a really fine line, right? And you might say I crossed that, um, <clears throat> that time but it it worked out i got a new house by the way and i got kids you know private school and i got their college funds back but i'm just i'm just trying to figure out like the emotion of like what it is like. so i was sitting the script i sorry i didn't finish it and i just broke down in tears i cried the hardest i probably ever had in my life for uh 10 minutes i couldn't stop like i just lost all this i can't win my for this idea that my friends are telling me is not fundable (laughs) right so (laughs) it didn't feel good It, it was not a good good day but it got better from there that's interesting that's yeah. really interesting so um so if you want a good cry just go down to La Jolla oh Shores. dude i find plenty of places <laughs> on my own man i'm telling you seriously because a lot of crazy shit has happened all at the same time i know for me yeah. and a lot of it is is business related and and i'm a first time ceo of a company 
and you know it's hard and there and i'll tell you what one of the, the hardest thing is is dealing with people man i'm telling you yeah it is freaking difficult people are messy yeah engineering is easy you know it's numbers it's bits and bytes uh the, the people are always the messy part so so echo atm you know you're you're, you're there bawling your eyes out you sold your house mm-hmm. you lost your ass mm-hmm. you got to rebuild yeah I don't know if that means you're broke or if it just means that, you know, you're just, you just, well, don't... you know, the biggest thing is I wasn't making an income for two years. Right. So I'm between. And so it's, it's, it's not so much. Yeah. And I got all these expenses. Right. But, it, but so nothing to pay those expenses, no, no income. And uh, plus your, the outgo is this extra thing that you're funding. And we were, again, we were pretty uh, disciplined, $30 hotels and cent. Yeah. Uh, where they put the, sheets under the you know (laughs) that aren't clean they slip them under the glass window um but um no it just it it felt better from there you get inspired i knew the idea would work i mean new in quotation marks because i knew the other ones would work too and they didn't work right so um (laughs) so (laughs) so i knew this would work and you have to have that sort of passion uh before you take off too many entrepreneurs start with like a an idea they like or it's mediocre i just want to go be an entrepreneur you got to have such a good idea that it you can't not do it it has to have such power over you uh every day to just to motivate you and if you're not to that point don't go start the thing you really have to be possessed by it and uh because it's going to try to buck you off almost every day and or the rocket ship takes off and you fall you gotta you gotta really be passionate about it and that's uh that's a lesson too right don't just go charge the mountain any mountain be really careful which mountain you pick because once you've climbed those things and got on the cold ledges you realize how how hard it is so so be it's really diligent in the first six months of vetting this thing so how did how did echo atm go from your friend the vc tells you don't do this to you're crying your eyes out because you lost your house and the whole deal so there's actually 59 VCs that said no before we got the in, in two years before we got got the big checks. So. And, and so then, how did it change? How did it turn? Um, the old-fashioned way, we cobbled together one prototype. Um, uh, we almost built it in my garage. It was just uh, really a plywood box that we made look like a kiosk that would go in a grocery store. Um, and but it had nothing inside of it. We we bolted a a uh, touchscreen PC to it and then made his user interface where you select your phone, you answer questions. Is it broken? Does it light up? And you have a, and then it yields a price, but I didn't do anything. Right. So you had to have a person there to be the technology, to pay the person, to make sure that it was, you know, an iPhone and not a banana or a rock or something they were putting it. So, um, so we had this assisted model. The kiosk looked like it was automated, but it really wasn't for the first two years. So we built one of those, put it in the back of my truck and drove it to Omaha, Nebraska, to Nebraska Furniture Mart. It was the first place that would let us put one in to try it. So we drove up there for a 30-day trial. Within a week, we had uh, a 30-minute waiting line. Within two weeks, it was a perpetual 45-minute waiting line, like 10, 12 people. We were collecting so many phones. that and This is no advertising. This is just sitting there and people walking past it, seeing it, turning on their heel, going to the car, because nobody has their phones, right? Driving home. Um, and then driving back and standing in line for 40 minutes, like, wow, our value proposition is high. We haven't tested technology because it's still us standing there, but the value proposition is really high, at least to people in Nebraska. <laughs> but hold on, Nebraska Furniture Mart. Yeah. Isn't that Warren Buffett's place? That's a Warren but Yeah, they have three stores, I think, or four. They're massive. They're, I don't know, I think that it's 
800,000 square feet or How something. It's not just there? furniture. It's electronics. It's everything. Oh, okay. And um, one of the guys, one of the uh, co-founders with me, uh, Aaron Dubin, he uh, knew the management there from some buyback programming he had done with them. And uh, they, nice Midwest Nebraska folks, and said, yeah, give it a try. And we rolled in. And uh, and then we and press showed up a week. Because, like, like, what is this 45-minute waiting line? We just killed it. It was still a year and a half from that point before we got a big check um vcs did not want to believe this story and we built 20 more just like that and put them out with you know staff standing next to it and we're same thing everywhere we put them 45 minute wedding like grocery stores malls everywhere uh college campuses so it worked you know the mousetrap worked but it wasn't fully automated um but this true story i'll make it quick the uh, uh pitching kleiner perkins and we had these machines and they they yeah, all right, we want to do this. We've been through a month or so and uh, went up for the big park. I mean, they have a, uh, a room up there that's huge and uh, a table. I'd never been in that room. I've been there many times, but it's like, I don't know, seats 100 people and every partner's in there. And um, we give our pitch and, yep, we're going to do this. Um, but we're going to give it to this new team and they just need to come down and see. The, these guys come down to see the kiosks, fly to San Diego. And we think we've got the deal done. And they uh, go to the first mall. And there's a 45-minute waiting line, and they're interviewing the customers. This is the greatest thing ever. And, you know, everybody's got cash. We open up the machine, and the floors dump out on the floor. It's so full. And, um, all right, let's go see another one. They thought maybe we set that up, right? So we go to another mall. You pick it. We go, same thing. The third mall. We go to the third mall. So we, we just killed this, right? Of course we're going to walk out, parking lot, and they, you know, says, what do you guys think? They start sucking their teeth and says, Mark, I don't think this is going to work. Um, I'm not sure about that. Like, what else could you have seen? The bias against hardware. You know, the Internet's all the rage, and the guy's buying back phones over the Internet. Gazelle, you know, um, and uh, Internet efficiency, all that. They couldn't get over that bias. Uh, by the way, EcoATM bought Gazelle's assets <laughs> um, a year and a half, two years ago, um, because th that model didn't make it. And that's, those are the guys that got all the funding and so forth. So anyway, we overcame it with just building machines, putting it out there. And the, at some point, we melted the ice. They couldn't deny that the model worked. Uh, so it's still going to take a lot of capital. It ended up taking another $80 million. Uh, but it, it worked, and it still works, and it's still collected. I think they just collected their 16 millionth or 17 millionth phone. They still employ 400 people or so. Um, numbers are growing uh, they're a private company now. They, they got taken. They, we got bought by a public company, and then they got bought and taken private, and now it's its own entity. But it's still raging. They're still expanding. They're still building more machines. You, you sold that company, as I've read many times, for three hundred fifty million dollars. Three hundred fifty right? million bucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, what does that do for your life? When from the from the day you're sitting there in La Jolla Shores crying, to the day that the, the company sold, how long did that take? How many? How, how long after? Five years. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a good thing. Uh, um, and not only for me, by the way. I mean, uh, I yeah, absolutely. I, I prefer, like I said, I didn't like being poor. And I was poor again. Um, but I... Um, Were you really? Were you really poor again? Yeah, I was I was out of everything. And, um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't rub two nickels together. In fact, I would go and, you know, at lunchtime, I was hoping somebody would ask me so they could pay because I didn't have any money in my pocket. True, that's true. Um so uh yeah no it's 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 but and and it wasn't just me i mean i think we created 12 
14 millionaires, uh, just employees, founders, and a bunch of other people made a bunch of money. Seeing these young guys that we recruited out of college four years later buying a house in San Diego in a decent neighborhood, and they just started their careers and they're having kids and stuff. It's uh, it's fun to be part of that, right? To uh, introduce it. Now they're entrepreneurs and they're CEOs and they're raising money. One of them's got a VC fund. So creating, you don't just create a company and a product, but you're changing people's lives, literally. And there was 400 some other people. I think I did the numbers the other day and it's um, uh, over 2,000 man years of jobs created. Not to mention the re recycling part of it and 15 million phones and... Um, and the government, got, you know, taxes, half of the money we sold it for went to taxes, right? So, and by the way, we've, we've paid out 200, 300 million to, um, actually more than that. It's probably close to half a billion uh, to consumers for stuff they would have thrown in the trash. So it's a nice stimulus package from them. It's turning, you know, garbage toxic into waste yeah. into cash. Yeah. It goes right back spent in the retailers that hosted this for the people that, that recycled the phones. And so everybody was a winner. In yeah, that. amazing. Yeah. Congratulations yeah. again. Yeah. Man, that was amazing. That yeah. is incredible. Yeah, they don't all turn out that way, though. But yeah. That one did, so. So, so back to the beginning, though. So our common friend, when we talked this, you know, just the other day when I told him that I was going to have you on the podcast, he said, you know, one thing that's really interesting, and it was the way he said it to me, I heard it, and I hope, well, I, I, I'm not sure if I, if I heard it the way he wanted me to or if I'm being a little paranoid, but he said, he said, you should ask Mark about being the CEO of his own company and knowing when it was time to not be the CEO of his own company. Yeah. He goes in the way he said it was that might apply here or something like that. He he made a comment and I thought he, he might be telling me that, Hey, look, at some point you might be in over your head. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 the old line, and I actually ask this now to entrepreneurs when I'm going to invest, uh, or some version of it, which is, do you want to be uh, rich or do you want to be king? Um, and so do you want the glory or are you in this, you know, to make money? Because whether that might sound, might sound crass, but once you take other people's money for a venture, um, or if you're spending your own that you need, right, that's important to you and your, your lifestyle and your family, um, you got to be a good steward of that. And, uh, you know, uh, and you become an investment vehicle and that is part of it. You need to be shepherding people's money for an exit. Yeah. You got to do all the other stuff, but it is an investment vehicle. And so, um, I, I was not that way in my first two or three start. I, you know, I really, I, I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to grow. I wanted to, you know, but I, I don't feel point, emotionally tied to I'm the smartest guy in the room and I'm the boss and this yeah. is my company and I'm going to bully people. I, I don't feel that way at all. I feel but it's like it's always scary to give up control to somebody, particularly when it's your idea. Right. Um, I, I tapped a guy, uh, Tom Tully he's a good friend of mine. We've come, we had worked together before. Um, and he is way better at, uh, a bunch of stuff than I am. I'm better in some stuff than he is. But he's a better CEO. I'm not bad. I've done it. I'm pretty good. But this company, and by the way, all the VCs were, you know, begging him to come join other companies, right? So it was this, which company was this? Was this Echo? Echo? It was. When did you do this? Um, a year and a half into it. Actually, the, the way that I, uh, everybody wanted him. He had already made a ton of money, ran AMCC and uh, uh, ran, a, you know, it was a $35 billion company. And, you know, he made a ton of money. Um and but he's a hard working guy that wanted to get back in the game but 
was very careful about it. So I started chipping away at him a year before, telling him about it. To, the way I got him is I, the trial when we finished uh, in Nebraska, the last day, I said, dude, you got to get on a plane with me and fly up and see this. I know you think it's a stupid idea. I've been pitching this for a year. It's working. Come and see it. And he reluctantly, you know, got on the plane. We flew up there. And he got there like four hours before close. And he stood there for four hours talking to customers. And he got so pumped up when he heard these people. Yeah, I just drove from Lincoln to, you know, recycle my phones. And um, he got really excited when he saw the dogs eating the dog food, right? And this is going to work. And so I recruited. This is about a year and a half in. But this is a heavy operations business. Um his resume, you know, I was having a hard time raising money, and I'm good at that. I'd done it successfully, but this was so hard that you know, adding him to it, you know, he's a he's a valuable commodity with investors, and so it was still a year and a half from that point before both he and I together could raise that money, you know, to really get it off the ground. But he loves operational detail. He's a eighty hour a week, no issues too small. You know, I work really hard. That guy worked me under the table. What did What did you do when you handed off CEO duties to him? I pretty much went and did everything I was already doing. Still helping raise money, still doing the marketing, still doing the uh, product, still doing, you know, uh, 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 when you're a startup, you wear lots of hats, but, you know, doing everything, the environmental stuff. Um, what I wasn't doing because we didn't have it yet was all this hardcore operational stuff. You know, imagine all the beans you're counting with collecting little phones, lots of transactions, manufacturing. He loves that stuff. I can rise to that occasion, but it's not the strength of my game. So I, I shifted from, you know, power was important in title to let's all just win. Who's the best guy to win? He was going to make me more money even by giving him a big chunk of the company. I was going to get more myself because his ad was going to be more than he got, right? It turned out that way. Um, and so that's a maturity of an entrepreneur that, that only comes usually, uh, you know, at least for me after about three companies. But yeah, it's not about you. It's about the company. It's about making it successful. And if you do what you say you're going to do because you get help from people that can help you, you're going to make more money anyway. And it's going to be more successful for the investors and the employees and, and everybody. And so, um, Anyway, uh, whatever it takes to win, including hiring your own boss, do it. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So I always say to everybody who joins this podcast, let's not try and work it all in in one session. We'll probably yeah. need another one. So I want to move off the business stuff for a second because um, I also was told that, that something you had done that I thought sounded really interesting was, and check me on this, jumping out of hot air balloons. I was the... Uh, third person that's ever jumped out of a hot air balloon on a bungee cord and uh, the background of that is uh john and pete cockleman's caltech guys great guys i met him in silicon valley when i first moved i didn't know anybody right so i'm sitting with the paper on sunday and i'm going through the sports section it's got this venture section san jose and um and i had bungee i'd seen it on that's incredible remember that show yeah hell yeah dude. like bungee jumping yeah and here it is um and That's this is incredible. back, they had just started, you would meet them in a parking lot at the Safeway, and if you had two people, they'd take you out and find a bridge or, you know, whatever to jump on. <laughs> so I started doing that, and I started getting people from work to go with me, 
And so, you know, some weekends I was all their clients with people I was dragging out. So Were you an adventure seeker? Were you a roller coaster yeah, rider? Yeah, I was an adrenaline junkie like you everybody were. else. I have no desire, by the way, to <laughs> My adrenal glands have been fucked over by all these startups, but I, could, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to jump off any bridges, any bungee cords uh, now. But when you're, you know, when you're 23, it's the best thing ever, right? So I was doing a lot of this. And uh, they, we started getting kicked off the bridges. And, you know, I never went to jail, but some of them did. And, um, so how do we get around that? Let's get a balloon. So they bought a 30,000 cubic foot balloon and got a license and we'd tether it out in the ground and Tracy. And, uh, so the first day we got it really hooked up and we're doing it. I was, John and went, Pete went, and I was the third guy in the, uh, union or not the union tribune, but the, uh, the San Francisco paper, uh, the Chronicle, there and they or... ended up on the front page uh -huh. diving out of a hot air balloon. So, no way. Third yeah. person ever to dive out of a hot air balloon on a bungee cord. On a bungee cord. Yeah. So how about the first guy? How, how was he? Was he nervous? Uh, these these are Caltech engineers. Everything's calculated. Uh, it's you know it's not going to break. It's we've tested it. Tensile strength. Yeah. Uh, did you buy that though? Come on, it's a hot air balloon. It's one. The bridge is bad enough, but it's a hot air balloon. Did you? No, dude, did you I'm have total faith? I'm, a, I'm immortal. It doesn't make a difference. I'm not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> how many times did you do it? Oh, I probably jumped oh, out of the balloon. I yeah. don't know, maybe ten or fifteen times, but. A total, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times. We'd go out sometimes and people wouldn't show up and we're there and just like one after the other, right? So doing it over uh, on a bridge with a body of water below you seems okay. Um, doing it off a crane with a parking lot below you never seemed okay to me. No, it is. Um, I mean, I just hear splat yeah. on the parking lot. <laughs> no, it's happened. I mean, the cords almost never break. The, uh, but people forget to hook up mm. and they dive off and they, and they die. But uh, yeah, there's lots of ways to go. Uh, that one is uh, one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for those words of wisdom. <laughs> so I, I also think it's interesting that when you, when you've been as successful as you've been mm -hmm. and you have a big score, like you had um, philanthropy. Yeah. And um, I was looking into something called defy ventures. Yep. This is this sounds really interesting to me because um, apparently you help mentor people in prison to become yeah. entrepreneurs and business people and productive. Yeah. What's that all about? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I have a a, a soft place for uh, you know kids that are knucklehead boys mostly that are knuckleheads when they're teenagers or young you know early twenties because uh, we all are. I mean most most it's a um, it's hard for, you know, a lot of people to make it through that gauntlet of all those hormones and all that testosterone at that age, um, particularly if you're not, um, you know, born in the right circumstances. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really good people who just got, I, you know, I was a little bit of a knucklehead myself, right? I can understand how boys get in trouble. I didn't. I, I was, you know, a good kid. But I, I, if I got caught doing some of the stuff I did. So anyway, I've got a soft spot for that. Our prison system is not great. Um, I didn't really think about it much, but when you get an up close look, any reasonable person, I'm a law and order guy. You do something bad, you go to, you know, you should be put behind bars, but you shouldn't go in there and come out worse than you were. And you shouldn't, um, you, you should have, we have a 76% recidivism rate. And, um, it, it, this program has a, uh, you know, single digit recidivism rate. And we teach these guys entrepreneurship, uh, and other life skills. How do you run a checking account? How do you do a bank account? How do you raise kids from prison so we have a bunch of modules and we teach them and um 
I think uh, these guys need some attention. I think that whole system needs some attention. The more rewarding part for me than even that, because um, I helped bring it from LA from to San Diego and raised the funds for that and got a bunch of people involved. But I'm working now with uh, folks that get out, um, and we're really starting a company. We're not just talking about it in prison and look at business plans, but we're starting one. And um, maybe that's a, a good another time I can come back to tell you this guy's story or bring him. He is amazing. We're starting a cleaning service company. Um, this guy is unbelievable. He's bad guy, Oceanside, um, you know, gang, uh, went up for nine years, did some bad stuff, but he is uh, more than completely turned around he's uh, one of the best human beings uh, that i know he's already given back mentoring people and, and himself he can barely you know uh, get by on the business at this point but he's still spends his time you know mentoring kids and um and uh, anyway he's really hard working guy um see that's what i was going to ask you i think you know if you get a guy who's been who's served nine or 10 years i happen to know a guy who served 25 years and it's completely changed his life around and just all he does now is mentor kids who can get themselves into trouble with an amazing organization called boys to men here in san diego and um and so i would think that if these guys come out and even if they have failures in business Mm -hmm. just the exercise of learning everything becoming you know around normal people yeah yeah, that, they didn't have that, right? And so, um, I, you know, for there go I, but for the grace of God, right? I, I can see myself having run into the trouble that they did. Our prison is full of all these young, bright, capable people. Not all of them are, are, are saints. I'm not making that point. What I'm making the point is when they come out, they're going to be our neighbors. Let's help get them reintegrated back. They have a hard time getting jobs because they're felons. Uh, but they're usually pretty good entrepreneurs. They just had focused it in wrong stuff. Focus that on good stuff, and um, and it's really the humanity involved in that is is uh, as dense as anything you can get involved in. So that's um, cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really cool. You had mentioned to me uh, that you were doing a I don't know if it was a web series or a, if you were shooting a pilot oh, yeah, yeah. or That's... I wasn't sure about that but it was called I think you mentioned a VCs in vans yeah VC in advance so oh, VC an in thing. my my partner Tom Tully who we talked about yeah. and Neil Centuria um, I know Neil we came up with this uh, idea kind of a Shark Tank for San Diego um, but with a couple of modifications that we think it make make it more interesting than that format one is that um, instead of being a studio on a stage where you know they give these silly presentations and it's some widget and it's all contrived, do it more like real venture capital. So go to the entrepreneur, right? So we we have a van, we make them watch, uh, make make the entrepreneur give us a uh, video asset to tell their story. We watch it on the TV in the van and discuss it on the way over to their garage or their office or wherever it is. Most of the time it's the garage at their house, right? And we go in and we see how the entrepreneur is doing it. And um, and then we decide whether we're going to you know do it or not. And then the second twist is we ask the audience, the viewing audience, to invest as well. So they have a couple of weeks. And they can come look at the business plan online and you know ask questions and self-accreditate. And, and then they can invest. And if they invest enough, they can get 
on the show in the van and, and go present their check to the entrepreneur. So uh, we're trying to highlight San Diego companies. It really didn't start off as let's make some money, but we're already doing this investing. We're already seeing these deals. Where are you doing this? Are you do you want to televise this? Do you want? Yeah. To so we've got uh, distribute. We we pushed out the dates because we're making some changes, better graphics and some things. But we're uh, we've got three episodes filmed in the can. Nice. We've got distribution in L.A. We're still negotiating with San Diego. For the market. On what, like local cable? Uh, local cable. Mm-hmm. And uh, there'll be a digital version of that when I when it will. Because uh, I would tell you right now, because I mean, I've been in TV production and especially yep. local TV production. And I've, I will tell you that we get more, so much more traction yeah. on social media sure. and on YouTube than we do on TV. In other words, I don't know that anybody, at least that we cover, we, yeah. this is a high school sports show. So you got to remember, it's it's the athletes, it's the parents, it's right. the administrators, it's the coaches. Right. I mean, it's a huge, huge group right. of people, right? They don't see this stuff on TV. It's got to be asynchronous for their mm-hmm. life for whenever mm-hmm. they want to watch it. Yeah. Right? yeah, we get that. We're, we got a nine o'clock Sunday night slot now. And um, so... Yes, the live part you got. We're going to do it, but the digital part we're still uh, working. Sounds on. Sounds like a fun idea. Yeah. So and it's also another way to get back, right? Get these people a platform to get on, and then we're going to highlight all the organizations in town that the Evo Nexuses that are doing such good work, Connect and San Diego Venture Group, and give them a platform to talk about themselves as well. And hey, let's you know, show us your best companies, and and then it also includes LA too, by the way. So we, I would also throw in um, San Diego Sports Innovators. Do you yes, know that group? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Great guys. Uh, friends of mine. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, exactly. Pick a thesis and, and show me your best three companies, uh, SDSI, and then, um, and highlight those and then go to the next one. Right. You got a lot going on, man. Yeah. For a guy so, who's retired. For a guy who's retired, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's great. That yeah. is really awesome, man. Thank you so much for. T- and again, we, I'm going to ask you: Will you come back and do this again? I want to. I, I really would like to dig this. Um, this guy. This is such a great story. Uh, Timothy Jackson. I, I'll come back and tell you. I'll bring him. Bring him. The guy that got out of uh, prison. Well, does and, he talk about prison? Yeah, dude. He talks about it, and uh, he's a great musician too. He sings this great music. Um, he plays guitar, and it's this funky sort of rap thing that goes back to like this melodic. Um, he should bring that too ballad. yeah he, he's he's amazing and um and a really good story and uh, let's save that for another time yeah and, uh, I, i'll I, bring him in and i hate to admit it but like i i love prison stories yeah and i say love them i mean i'm just so curious about him yeah the life of what what it is that's because i used to be obsessed with this tv show on hbo called oz did you ever watch that yeah, show? i watched a few episodes yeah oh my god i watched every hey, episode look, if you want a uh, adrenaline rush come with me down to donovan state prison mm-hmm. one of these saturdays and meet a hundred of these guys and mentor them look at you know you go through their business plans and they do mock interviews and um this will you if you do that it, it, you would be moved for the rest of your life i would love to do it i i would love to think that i could bring something to the table but here i am complaining to you with this entire podcast about how i'm screwing shit up and how i'm learning on the go yeah but i i would do anything to 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 help these guys because i'm like you i like i have a soft spot too and it's not because of myself getting into trouble it's just it's just i i I've watched so many documentaries. I've watched so many films. I've watched so many fictional sorts of things about prison life. Yeah. And I'm just very curious about it. And I've seen guys come out and change their lives. Yeah. And, it, and the, this thing works. It's not, this isn't just a feel good and do good to do, be doing good. It actually works. And you're making an impact and you see it right there in front of you. And it's, it's, uh, it's really good stuff. Cool, man. Yeah. All right. All right. You're on. All right. And I'll, see, and I'll see you next time with this gentleman. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks All right, Mark. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Thank you.
What an amazing guy, Mark Bowles, right? Just incredible. And and it just goes back to the beginning of everybody sitting around that table and everybody contributing and helping. You know, I got so much from this interview. He helped me so much make some decisions or at least make some, uh, just really circulate some thoughts about how I need to make decisions in my own business. And it's just incredible how people will come and help, especially part of a community. It's just a, this is one of the things I love so much about this podcast, you know, is it's, it's being able to have friends help and, and really gain a lot as, as these conversations are going on. Cause, and I know you guys are too, cause I know I'm getting your feedback and I appreciate that. Hey, I want to send a shout out to my man, Casey over at Gorilla Movers. You guys, this is a crazy story. So when I moved, I said to uh, Casey at Gorilla Movers, hey, it's time. Here we go again. I've used Casey and Gorilla Movers like three times, unfortunately. I've had to use them a bunch of times. But I've had a ton of friends that have used Gorilla Movers too. Well, turns out when Gorilla Movers came to my new place, they backed the truck up and, uh, you know, they unloaded it and took a day, right? And one of the neighbors, a couple doors down, who I haven't even met yet, went to the other neighbor and said, hey, I think I know that dude who just moved in. He's, you know, I'm, I listened to his radio show. And so this is so sweet. So again, community, community, community. This girl, this this mom, came to my house last night, knocked on the door, had her two little kids with cards and homemade chocolate cookies. And my kids all came to the door, and they were, like, melting. They're like, oh, my God, look at these little kids. It was so sweet. But it was because Gorilla Movers had, you know, big truck in front of the house, couple doors down, guy who's, a, a thankfully, a, an avid radio listener, put two and two together. Oh, Kaplan, he's been talking about moving here. Oh, okay. All right, Gorilla Movers, that must be him, so... Gorilla Movers, effective advertising, whether it's on radio, within this podcast, or uh, that mobile advertising of using that truck, man. Great job, Casey, and thanks always, guys, because you did an amazing job with this most recent move. And let's hope that we're not going to be working together for a really long time, other than on radio and stuff. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast. Please use my website, scottkaplanmedia.com. Go back into the archives of 2018. We're producing these weekly, and there's a ton of great shit that you've probably missed because you're just catching up. There are some amazing interviews to go back and listen to. So please go to my website, scottkaplanmedia.com. Follow me on Twitter at Scott Kaplan. On Instagram, same deal. Facebook, the same. And whatever it is you're supposed to do, share or comment or whatever, help. Uh, community. That's, you know, everybody sitting around that table and everybody kind of giving a hand. And, and by the way, hit me back. What can I do for you? Let me know. And until next time.